podcast. How is everyone doing today? For those of you who are listening on the day of release, happy Monday. Really good to catch up with everyone this morning, see where you're all at. And we're actually in our last week of our four-week power challenge, which is really, really exciting. I think I'll be doing a bit of a recap on that at a later date, but for now, I wanted to talk about something that very understandably has been a massive kind of recurring theme and something that I think is worth fleshing out and expanding a little bit more on than you know an Instagram post or something on the Facebook group. So today I'm going to be talking about snacking, the best ways to avoid excessive snacking and specifically this is quite evening orientated though a lot of the principles you can apply, a lot of this will be geared towards evening snacking. Towards the end I'd also like to talk about binge eating, something that has popped up and that is worth addressing. It is in a different different realm from excessive snacking, but I'm gonna do my absolute best to shed some light on this and to provide some knowledge and some insight. For those of you who maybe don't necessarily suffer from binge eating, um, but would like to know either a little bit more or it's just something that you, you're not sure whether you do. Maybe you just snack a lot, maybe you do binge eat, you don't know. Um, so yeah, let me go into that in a little bit more detail. As ever, you can find this on multiple platforms, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. If it is something that you enjoy, particularly on Apple, because it's super easy to do, please scroll down and give it a little five stars on the on the ratings if you do enjoy it. It really helps. And um, the podcast numbers, I get them sent through on a weekly basis and it's so nice to see them go up. So if this is something you find useful, if there's anything in particular that you would like me to kind of focus on, please feel free to comment across our usual our usual ways. But for this one on snacking and binge eating, enjoy. So I think let's dive straight into this. Avoiding excessive evening snacking. Now this is something I covered in an Instagram post, so I'm gonna link it below. But as I mentioned, it's just not something that I think you can bullet point. I've tried nonetheless, and there's eight points that I believe you can implement to avoid excessive evening snacking. Some of these things might be things you do already, in which case, amazing. Others you've never even considered, and others that you thought, oh, I used to do that. Maybe I've let that one fall by the wayside and something that I could choose to focus on if ever I get those those cravings. Um, so let's run through these in, in order. This was something, and I think it really understandably came up a lot in check-ins because it is so, so common. And if you find yourself feeling that your evening snacking is the hurdle towards your weight loss progress, I'm gonna start by saying that's not unusual. But there are definitely actionable steps that you can take and the ones that are more or less applicable to you will become more obvious as we run through. So let me go through this list and you can consider you know, the ones that you may choose to prioritize over others. So number one, are you eating enough during the day? It sounds like an obvious thing to say, but you might actually be falling into a pattern whereby you're under eating during the day, which naturally then leads to overconsumption in the evening. It's fairly straightforward, but it might not be something you've ever considered. Are you distributing your day's calories evenly enough? I think it's quite unfortunate that we have this tendency, this traditional eating pattern of breakfast, lunch, and dinner into what these meals increase oversized during the day. 
That simply does not have to be the case. If you're finding yourself running out of energy mid-afternoon, you're coming home, you're starving when it comes to dinner, so you're having a massive evening meal, and then you're continuing that trend by eating a lot into the evening, ever consider that your lunch isn't big enough? You know, ladies come to me and they say things like, oh, I, I don't understand why I'm losing weight. I'm not losing weight. I have soup and a roll for lunch. And then what's actually ended up happening is that they're coming home and they're then having a massive dinner, which then snowballs into multiple snacks, dessert, etc., etc. And they may be having a small lunch, yes, but it's not actually helping them. It's hindering when it comes to the overall distribution of calories throughout the day. So that might be really worth considering. If you're eating enough during the day, it's also focused into meals rather than snacks. Say for instance, you have 2000 calories and when you go into MyFitnessPal and you have a little look at the breakdown, you find that 600 of those calories of the 2000 are actually in snacks that you've eaten during the day. That's something you would want to consider. That's something that you would want to redesign. Focusing calories more into satiating food sources in actual meals rather than in snacks and in grazing. It might be something that you do and you don't even realize and therefore it would be worth if you don't track already, start tracking, have a little nosy at that. My fitness pal breaks it down really great, really greatly. My fitness pal breaks it down really clearly into breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. It gives you a pie chart with colors and you can see it. If you're not into tracking, photo food diaries. Take photos of everything that you have during the day and simply look at it. That might be enough to trigger, oh my goodness, I have a lot of snacks during the day. My meals are really small and I tend to gravitate towards a lot of snacking. The second one, meal timings. This is quite common too, particularly for people who either have really busy jobs and they come back and the first thing that they want to do is eat. Or for those of you who have families and tend to eat with children at an earlier point in the evening. If your evening meal, your largest meal of the day perhaps, is at 5 p.m. and you're not going to bed till half past 10, 11 o'clock, that's a five and a half hour window. I'm not surprised that you feel hungrier later in the day. It seems natural to, if you've been eating fairly consistently during the day and then to go five hours where you don't eat anything, it's quite natural that you would then start to feel a little bit peckish and then reach towards snacks. It might be a case, therefore, that you think a little bit outside the box. Maybe you have a half dinner with family and then you eat again at, say, half past seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Smaller meals distributed throughout that evening window that's going to prevent you having a large dinner and then, as I say, turning to snacks during, during the evening time. It closes that snacking window and might help consider, you know, considering moving that evening meal later might really, really help you. Protein content. I know, when will I shut up about protein? <laughs> Honestly. But um, it should be su- sufficient in each meal and not just in the evening meal. It should be su- sufficient in each meal throughout the day. Protein does have a satiating quality to it. Um, and if you're not having, if you're having protein, you're not having, leaning so much on your carbon fat content. So it plays two crucial roles in that element. So really consider upping your protein content Um, in every meal. Number four, bulking up meals. 
So yeah, this sounds a bit converse. You want to lose weight, why are you looking to make your meals bigger? Well, I'm looking to bulk up your meals with low calorie veggies, greens, salads, other substitutes, these kind of things. Psychologically, you're much more likely to feel satisfied if you're looking at a plate that looks full. If it looks full, it looks dense, it looks like a decent meal, you're gonna look at that and think, oh, do you know what, yeah, great, this looks brilliant. If you look at a you know, side plate with a piece of chicken and some broccoli on it, before you've even eaten it, eaten it, you know that it's not gonna satiate you. There's that psychological side of things. So consider bulking up your meals. As I say, veggies, salads, greens are the obvious choice. Go for like mixed bags from the supermarket that are just so easy to grab, go and stir fry and add to your meals. There are amazing um, substitutes now, things like um, if you spiralize, that's a good option. So bulking out any pasta meals with, you know, spiralized courgette, butternut squash, all this stuff. Broccoli, cauliflower, rice is another great way to make your meals look much larger than they are, but without the associated calories. Number five, establishing a budget or setting some rules. This is probably the most difficult thing to do. We are in a generation, in a society, in a, in a way of life that does not like saying no to things. And unfortunately, sometimes there is a bit of a requirement on parenting and setting rules for ourselves. I sit in a kind of funny line between this because I definitely don't believe that you should say no to everything. I think the minute you tell someone they can't, shouldn't have something, well, what's the first thing they want? So I think there's a fine line between setting rules that are achievable and saying no to yourself completely. I like things like I can have a snack, but it needs to fall within, you know, 100 to 150 calories. I can have snacks, but they must be between 7 p.m. in the evening and they must have stopped between 8 p.m. Like setting a time window is a good one. I can have snacks, but they must be no more than 200 calories of my day's consumption. You know, are very achievable and very measurable goals and rules that you can set yourself. Think of it like a budget. Think of it like pocket money. You can have whatever you want, but as long as it falls into that budget or that allocation. Um, I think it's really, really important and it's good to get into it's good to practice balance. It's good to say, well, I can have snacks, but I'm not going to let myself go to town. I'm not going to press the fuck it button and I'm going to do it in a really controlled manner. We're such an all or nothing society. A lot of us probably describe ourselves as being pretty all or nothing. This is a really good way to challenge that, to practice it and put it into really, as I say, measurable steps that are going to help you towards your fat loss and your weight loss process. So that being said, number six, have options. So keep lower calorie, plan-friendly options to hand. Um, if necessary, explain to family members why there aren't like multiple share bags of crisps in the house that you know they've been replaced with lower calorie popcorn. Get everyone on board. If you have another half who's also you know watching their weight or they're looking to make body composition changes, sit down together and say, well, this as a pair, as a couple, this is what we're going to have in the house now. You know that we've decided that we're going to make these improvements, and you know we can't. You know maybe we can't have share sized bags of Maltesers, minstrels, whatever your go-to is, but we can have these instead. I think having these options as 
before stops this resentment of dieting towards you know I can't have anything to you know what I can have things and these are the choices that I've made beforehand I made these decisions that I can have these things now and they work well within my calorie budget they I like the taste of them I enjoy them as a snack and these are what I can have so that I can work towards weight loss but also have something I think that's really really important so have those options pre-plan them in advance and make sure that they're at home so that you have things that are in line with your goals number seven distractions yeah sometimes snacking is a byproduct of boredom that's just common knowledge we know that it happens and actually it's really understandable and it's really natural so don't let yourself fall into that can you have a list of evening tasks these don't have to be things that are mentally draining they don't have to be like arduous tasks but just things that stop you reaching towards the snack cupboard maybe on a Sunday evening you sit down and you say okay by the end of the week I would love to have completed x y and z it might be things as simple as you know clear out the the drawer in the spare room you know and go through my wardrobe or you know just things that don't require a huge amount of mental stimulation but they're going to stop you sitting down sitting down in front of the tv and thinking about snacking so distraction techniques worth worth a thought you can double up on this by using NEAT, so your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, your steps, as a way um, to have a distraction. So if you typically find that after you've had dinner, maybe you've you know sat down, you've answered all your messages, you've done whatever that may be, you've planned for the next day, that window afterwards in which you typically might sit down on the sofa tends to be a bit of a danger time. Maybe that's when you program in an extra half an hour walk killing two birds with one stone you're not over consuming in snacks but you're also increasing your snack count win-win just a thought and the last one I kind of put this as a joke but it, it really really works brush your teeth and go to bed honestly it sounds so simple but it's effective you're not going to sit down and have a bar of chocolate after you've brushed your teeth and you've got ready for bed once you've gotten in bed and maybe you grab a book, maybe you're watching something on, on the laptop, on TV, you're not going to get up with freshly brushed teeth, go down to the kitchen and tuck into a load of chocolate. It just won't happen. So bear in mind when that window of, you know, that danger window, trigger window might be for you. And can you adapt your bedtime, your wind down routine to actually help avoid those triggers and to help you um, you know, get into bed earlier. That helps with dieting in itself. When your willpower is high, when your motivation is high, you're more likely to make really good dieting decisions because you have the energy to put towards it. And that's just a known fact. Like we know that sleep can help towards dieting. So consider that. Consider adapting your bedtime routine. Brush those teeth and get to bed. So I wanted to take a further look into binge eating. Binge eating is not the same as snacking in the evening. I think it would be unfair to correlate the two. And I'm also going to put a massive caveat on the fact that binge eating can look very different for a lot of people. The experience is very, very different. So I'll start by saying that. I will also say that in my short time of coaching, it has been something that's come up more frequently than I anticipated. It's a lot more common than I think people realize. And it's also something that 
I think we were traditionally programmed to think of eating disorders, and by eating disorders in the traditional sense, I mean anorexia and bulimia, were always associated with extreme weight loss and under eating, and typically someone who suffered from these had very noticeable low weight. They were very thin, and um, binge eating doesn't have quite the same association. It's quite hard to spot if someone physically if someone has problems with binge eating. So I would say that it's more widespread than we realize. It looks very different from for individuals and it can not necessarily be something that's easy to easy to see. So binge eating it is a mental illness. It's not the same as wanting to snack. It is a loss of control around food and it can be incredibly, incredibly distressing. It can have knock-on effects and be a really difficult time in people's lives. It's described as consuming really large quantities of food over a short period of time and it's about not necessarily choosing to do these things. It's, it comes in a wave. People who experience binge eating often associate it with a lack of control I've heard it described as a zombie-like quality where you almost have this out-of-body experience that you don't really correlate with your day-to-day self. So it's a very difficult thing to get your head around. Um, It can often be associated with um, shame, privacy. A lot of binge eating is done in secret, um, which obviously is very difficult for people to deal with at the time, but also the repercussions. So how they feel afterwards um, and what that may look like for them. I think I should also take the time to point out, I'm obviously not a psychologist, I'm a personal trainer, but the nature of the way I run my personal training business, I know my clients very, very well. I don't think it's fair to say that what I do is issue a training plan and a nutrition plan and that's where we stop. A lot of my coaching is quite holistic, which means we go into lifestyle changes, which means we talk about things like sleep, timing, um, you know, relationships, all of these things, because I don't believe that good and effective weight loss comes down to just putting in the simple tools of your diet and nutrition. I think the ripple effect that comes along with body composition changes is all of these things. It's everything else that's going on in your life. And therefore I tend to get quite involved with what goes on with my clients. I know how they how they work, I know their preferences, I know their triggers, etc, etc, that go out with the realms of simply training. I also suffered quite badly from binge eating myself. And I think my binges, they came in two very, very distinct phases in my life. They were quite separate, but they were something that happened and it makes me a little bit more confident and I feel have a bit more insight than perhaps other trainers that this hasn't happened to. Now, I'm not saying I know everything about it, but what I'm saying is that I have had different experiences over two spells of my own life and I would be quite willing and happy to talk about it. The first time that I experienced binge eating was the knock-on effect from a photoshoot diet. So 12-week photoshoot diet, won't go too much into it, quite intense. I came out of that with a very, very distorted relationship with food to the point where I couldn't see a point past what I was doing. 
I thought I deserved and I thought I had earned the right to eat whatever I wanted. I'd been in such restriction for such a long period of time, had exercised such self-control, had got the validation. I thought that I therefore had the right to have anything that I wanted. I couldn't put the brakes on it. That was the problem. It was, you know, it was a cheap meal turned into a cheap weekend, turned into a cheap week, then turned into Christmas, then turned into the new year, then turned into birthday that went on for about three months and if you talk to anyone who's ever done any kind of extreme diet you can derail yourself completely emotionally physically everything off the tail end of that and I did not have the knowledge the experience or the support in order to deal with that it was quite an unfortunate time Um, I really fell out of love of exercise I fell out of love with myself about my you know relationship with food and it was really, really unhealthy. I basically ate in the subsequent three months everything that I could have wanted to and more in the three months that I dieted. It was, it was quite difficult. The time of year didn't help at all as well. It was, it was Christmas. Um, and the fallout of that is hard enough as it is um, without having gone into that um, on a diet. That was actually, again, and I won't go on about this too much, but this was the reason I wanted to do a second photo shoot was because I wanted to prove to myself, not that I could do it, it was that I could come out of the other side in a better way, that I could learn from what I'd done previously, what I hadn't done previously, and reaffirm that relationship I had with with food, with exercise, and that it was something that enhanced my life. It wasn't this demon um, that, you know, it was good or bad. It was something that I loved and that I have always fallen into, but I just had these short-term, really negative times I think so that was the reason for the second photo shoot really not because I wanted to get the photos actually it was more to prove to myself that I could do a better job and not just a better job in the dieting process that I could do a better job with myself when coming out of that that I could learn from it and that was really really important for me the second time I experienced binge eating was And this is not a sob story, by the way, at all. The second time I experienced binge eating was when I found myself at the end of a relationship, suddenly living alone. This was, it come out of nowhere, really. I think the relationship had ended very, very quickly, actually over a lunch. And then the fallout of that, as in that person no longer being there, happened over a course of weeks. So I immediately then found myself in another country alone, obviously not feeling 100% and didn't really have any emotional outlet. And I was exercising quite hard at the time, but what I would do would be train quite hard during the day, come home and then have wine and and ice cream. Um, That binging looked slightly different for me that time. It was a different um, trigger and it represented itself in a different way. I just had a really, really negative relationship again with with food and myself. And I think you start to then question, you know, what you're doing. Alcohol was a bit more prominent in that in that time. Um, But I remember once and this is being very, very honest. I remember once being in the apartment. I think I'd had half a bottle of wine going down to the shop downstairs, you know, getting extra snacks. I did not need them. Um, going back upstairs, eating all of those snacks in, you know, I don't even know the time. It wasn't even thought about. I remember the TV being on in the background, the, the laptop. I wasn't even watching 
what was on the TV. I was just eating food, just eating and eating and eating. And there was no thought to it. There was no emotion to it. There was no enjoyment of it. It was just a numb feeling, just absolute numbness. Um, no guilt, no nothing, no enjoyment. No, it was just an act of doing it. After that, going into the kitchen and eating everything, like not at one point pasta, like pa- I'm sure it was just pasta with salt, pepper, and cheese on it, because that was. But it was just that that need to eat, that want to eat, that need to just just do it. It was. It's the most bizarre out of body experience I can relate to. That's the only. It was like being and even alcohol aside, it was it was like being completely drunk. There was no thought behind it. There was no nothing. And just by the way, alcohol wasn't involved every time. Um, it was something that went on, though, for quite a while. And how did I manage to shake myself out of it? I, I don't know, actually. And it's something that I would always keep tabs on, even now. I'd be very, very aware. I know what my triggers are. I know what sets me off. Um, but anyway, without going too far into it, it's something that I have awareness of and I have I've learned to kind of cope with and, and deal with and get out the other side I think it's quite easy when you with hindsight to look back and say there are very very logical reasons as to why those things happened um, at the time it's not so clear it's actually not even though it sounds obvious like oh my relationship has ended this is why I binge eat it didn't seem as obvious as that at the time so maybe it's something that if this is something you suffer from you might want to think a little bit more outside the box about why this is possibly happening to you anyway let's get back on track there are steps when it comes to addressing binge eating and actually these are the same steps that apply to anyone thinking about undertaking exercise so even if binge eating is not something that affects you if you've ever suffered from an episode or a time in your life where you've simply fallen out of the will or the want to exercise, but you want to get back into it, it's the same steps that apply to wanting to remove yourself from binge eating. So I think it's worthwhile going through these and having a little think about them. As I say, if you don't suffer from binge eating yourself, this is the same steps that we're taught in PT school about how people address wanting to get into exercise. So the first one is pre-contemplation, pre-contemplation stage. This is the point where someone is half considering that they want to make a change. So if you wanted to you know, get really, really fit, you might half think, okay, well, should probably join a gym at some point. That's what it means. In the context of binge eating, it's you saying, okay, well, this is not something that's serving me very well. I see that this is happening and it's something that's happening on a recurring basis. Mm, This isn't something that's probably going to be part of my lifestyle long term. I don't want it to be, as I say, it's not mapping to to any positives in my life. That's pre-contemplation. Contemplation is when you really do consider, okay, I need to do something about this now. Like I need to make a change here. This really is having a negative effect on me. It's perhaps having a negative effect on my emotions, my mood, therefore my relationships, my job performance, all of these things. That's contemplation. It's something that is making, think of it like a cloud forming over over your day, over your life, over your relationship with food, contemplation. Preparation. The preparation stage is stage forward. Okay, so 
I recognize that I'm, you know, binging a lot. Maybe I need to, you know, think about my food shop. Maybe I need to think about putting myself on a diet. Maybe I need to, you know, you're preparing. You're putting steps in place to make changes against what's happening to you. Action stage. This is where you are going to actually put those steps in place. So when you go to the supermarket, you don't buy the multi-pack. When you're at home, you throw away everything that's in the cupboard. You start weighing yourself once a week. You start exercising more. You start, you're actually tangibly doing things towards bettering this problem, as it were. You're actively making steps towards this. So we've had pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, you're now at action, you're now doing something to work against this, this binge eating problem. You then get to maintenance. This is something at a stage whereby you've been doing these actionable steps for a while. Perhaps you've gone a week without binging, perhaps you've gone two, perhaps you're you know feeling really good, you're noticing the difference, you're noticing your mood's gone up, you're more relaxed at home, you're noticing you're sleeping better, you're looking better, your partner, your other half, your friend compliments you on how much more alert you seem, how much better you look in, you know, whatever that may be for you, maintenance. The next stage is a little bit harder to deal with, it's setbacks. So say for instance, you, for the last couple of weeks, you have been doing really well, you've been happy, content, then it's so-and-so's birthday, then it's a late night Zoom call with friends, a party, maybe it's, uh, you know, whatever that may be. You have a couple of glasses of wine, someone puts some nibbles down very quickly, the nibbles are gone, you jump into the cupboard, you raid the cupboard, everything there is gone, you wake up the next morning and think, excuse my French, fuck, I was doing so well, I've royally, royally messed that up, oh no, I'm right back to the beginning. This happens, setbacks happen. The important point about this is to learn from them. What was it that triggered it per se? Was it the alcohol? Was it you didn't eat enough during the day? Was it you're really, really tired after a long week at work? What was the trigger? What was the, the, the thing that caused the setback? The most important thing you can do is not beat yourself up. The most important thing you can do is learn. Why did that happen? Why specifically on that evening did you know this happen that triggered my binging? And more importantly, what can I do about it to learn in next time for next time? These stages, as you think about them now, I'd like you not to think about them in a straight line. I'd like you to think about them in a circle. So they're going round in a circle. Pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, setbacks and learning. They're not in a straight line. It's not a destination. It's not a finish line. They're in a circle. Okay, now you've got them in that circle. See how easy it is to move from one to the other because it's not forward and back. It's a circle. You might be sitting in your preparation stage for a while. You might really, really be thinking, be thinking, be thinking about what you're going to do before you go into that action stage. You might action for a week and then something happens and you fall back into a preparation stage. That's absolutely fine. The idea though is that this is a revolving circle. It's a circle that's in an upward spiral so that every time, say that you're in a maintenance stage, you go into a setback 
and you fall back into preparation, that's fine, but just make sure you're learning and that spiral is going upwards and upwards and upwards each time. Unfortunately, it's very, very unlikely that one day you just wake up and you stop binging. It, it just doesn't happen. Um, it's about learning every time. It's about taking the positives every time that you can and about pushing forward. This is where having support either from your family or from a coach can be so, so, so important. This is a really personal experience. It's a personal, it looks different for everyone and it needs to be something that's discussed on a one-to-one -one basis because your experience, your triggers, your what binging looks like for you is probably very, very different from what it looked like for me, for what it looks like for the next person. So it's important to have insight and um, a good objective view from someone else over what's happening to you sometimes explaining this to someone like a family member can be too much as I said before it's usually something that goes on in private and having someone who's not in your immediate circle can really really help so please consider that the last thing that I wanted to touch on are myths associated with eating disorders and this is eating disorders by and large so although I've been focusing specifically on binge eating, eating disorders in general, there's plenty of stigma attached to them. We don't tend to talk about them a lot. And, you know, there are misconceptions around this. And I wanted to debunk a few of them and a few that are quite specific to the ladies that I've come across in my own coaching experience. And I hope this is of value. So first one, eating disorders are a choice. The fact around that is that they're a complex illness. There's no single cause, and it's usually a combination of biological, psychological, and sociological factors. Um, they're extremely distressing. I don't think anyone who has one would ever tell you that it's a choice they want in their life. It's really, really upsetting, distressing for them and for the people that around them, their loved ones. So it's definitely not something that people would choose and they require specialist treatment. So just bear that in mind. Um, it's very, very personal and they are a mental illness. So the second one, eating disorders are a byproduct of a diet that's gone wrong. This might be the case and I can testify to that. It might be something that has happened to you that's directly associated with diet so a lot of under restriction but it might not be so again have a look at your factors what this means for you and whether previous dieting mentality has fed into it whether it's been the sole cause or whether it has exacerbated other underlying issues another myth someone must be underweight to have an eating disorder Again, we tend to associate eating disorders with the classics of anorexia and bulimia and traditionally with extreme underweight. This is not the case. Um, it might be really, really difficult to spot whether someone has um, an eating disorder. From personal experience, it didn't show with me. Um, it didn't show in scale weight and it didn't show in body composition, but it was there. It was something that was hanging over um, a whole process. So it's worth just thinking about the fact that it might not be something that you can see in a physical sense. Eating disorders are things that only happen to young girls. Again, this is quite, um, there's quite a lot of stigma with this, quite a lot of um, 
association with eating disorders and teenage girls. This is not the case. Eating disorders don't discriminate based on age. It can happen to anyone, any gender, any ethnicity, sexual orientation, whatever weight you are, anything. It does not matter your background, um, your age, any of these things. So please just bear that in mind. It does not make you unusual that you're not a, a teenage girl um, and that you feel that you have possibly an eating disorder. I'm going to close with the fact that on a positive note, there is always something that can be done. There is support available, whether that again is from your family, whether it's from a coach, whether it's from a trainer, it does not have to be me. That's a massive thing. It does not have to be me. If you know someone or you have spotted a trainer whose ethos you think works well for you and you think might actually help the problem that you have um, because of whatever reason, maybe it's their gender, maybe it's their experience, maybe, you know, go to them, go to someone that will help you. The bottom line is you get the best support from whoever that comes from. There's lots of online resources. Um, the main one, I think it or would be worth looking at first would be BEAT. Um, that's the eating disorder, uh, eating disorder website, which is, which is a UK-based website, which I think would be worth having a look at first and foremost. They do offer um, support directly themselves, but also there are, um, they're a charity, but they also provide resources as well as subsequent people that you can kind of be referred to and uh, and you know from from there so it'd be a good port of call I think um to to start with and then obviously from there um you know take it where where you need to from a personal note I hope this has been helpful I hope it's been a bit of an insight um as I say not intended at all to be any kind of sob story it's supposed to be informative and I hope to make you feel like you are not alone you are definitely definitely not alone and if this is something that you require more support with personally and something that you want to reach out to me about uh, please feel free to do so on whatever platform you find best email is good um so if and i'll just pop my email address below and you can send me over a message at any time um but as I say, if this is something that's useful to you, please comment below, message me personally. And if just this has been useful in general, you know, it does the podcast um, a whole load of good. And um, if you can help out in any way, if that's just popping a little review or a little um, stars on Apple podcast below, it's super easy to do. Just scroll and tap. Um, but yeah, I hope everything is good with you. If you've got any comments, do let me know.